Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there, I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. Today we are talking all about burnout, how to decode it, how to recognize why you're burned out and how to recover from it without drinking. So my guest today is Dr. Sharon Grossman. She's a renowned expert and keynote speaker on stress and burnout. She's dedicated her career to equipping people with practical tools and strategy to manage life's pressures effectively. Drawing from a rich background in psychology, Dr. Sharon brings a unique blend of personal experience, research-based insights, and practical wisdom to the conversation about the importance of decoding burnout. She continues to impact lives by shining a light on the often unspoken struggles many face in their personal and professional lives, you can find Dr. Sharon on her weekly podcast, Decode Your Burnout. I'm so excited you're here. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm looking forward to this conversation. 
Me too. And I know burnout is something that so many women who are trying to do all the things and then drinking to forget about all the things or is there one way to relax and reward themselves after a long day um, struggle with. And I'm excited to help them figure out why they're burned out and how to cope. Do you want to just kind of take us away? I'll take you away. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, to your point, I think this is a really, really important thing that women are dealing with. We know that women take on a whole bunch of stuff and it's not just at work. It's also at home. And so when you couple the two things together, it can really be too much. And we're feeling the effect of that. So you're feeling stressed and that stress kind of piles on. And I like to think of burnout as kind of like this onion where you've got layer upon layer upon layer of stress that just accumulates. And it's the chronic effects of those uh, layers of stress that basically becomes burnout. And so, you know, you've, you've heard about burnout. This isn't anything new. However, I like to talk about really now that you know that you're burned out, what do you do about it? And we, if you go to Google, we hear about things like take a two-week vacation. And we've seen throughout COVID how people are dealing with it by, you know, getting divorced, by quitting their job, by taking a sabbatical. We're kind of jumping into all these different solutions. But I like to say that before you treat the problem, and before you create a solution for yourself, you really have to understand the root of the issue. And that's where Decode Your Burnout really was born. It's about looking at how to understand your version of burnout, which might be very different from somebody else's version of burnout. And the best way that I can explain this is that you and your friend or your colleague or your partner might be under the exact same circumstances. And your ways of coping with that circumstance can be very different. So we know that it's not just the circumstance that we have to look at. We also have to look at the coping and we have to look at, and coping is really just a behavior. We also have to look at what comes before the coping. Before the coping is all of the emotions that you're feeling. Are you feeling frustrated? Are you feeling angry? Are you feeling sad? Are you feeling you know, guilty? Are you feeling resentful? There's so many emotions. Where do those emotions come from? Your thoughts. And we have, I think the estimate is something like 60,000 thoughts a day. And your thoughts are going to be different from my thoughts because you have a different brain, different life experiences. And so we're all very individual in the way that we look at the world and the way that we interpret the circumstances that we're dealing with that we call stress. And so some of us are going to be really excited. Like I've talked to people, especially in healthcare, right, where we see tons and tons of burnout. And we've seen some people are like, oh, my God, I'm totally burned out. I can't do this another day. And then we've got other people who are like, yay, I love it. I love that it's like super fast action and like, you know, I'm the type A person and like bring it. So we're very individual in the way, in our preferences and the way that we cope in so many different ways. And so I'm really a big proponent of let's break this down. Let's look at what are the contributors to your burnout and let's not just 
create a one size fits all solution for burnout, but let's actually tailor the solution to those contributors. Mm -hmm. And so then I break that down and I help people understand those three contributing factors and then how to then create that customized solution. So Casey, let me ask you, have you ever burned out? Oh yeah, for sure. And I think it was sort of a combination of my drinking, right? Because I was drinking a Coke, which was also, you know, frying my nervous system and making me sleep terribly and feeling like anything additional would be like the straw that breaks the camel's back. But also what was going on at work, you know, in terms of we had various periods of time where like, I was on a team where the entire team turned over twice. We had a really tough boss Mm -hmm. and I was the person who stayed and it was really difficult to, you know, take on this person's work and then that person's work. And, you know, I was just beyond burned out with that, with also my two little kids at drinking on top of that. And I just remember my boss traveled a ton and she came home and back to the office And I was trying to explain to her what was going on and she was trying to shift it. And at one point she said to me, I don't understand why this is so hard for you. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm over this, you know? Yeah. So I just want to highlight the main things that you were facing. Just, I mean, and I know you just listed them, but I think to recap that is really important because we're so in our story that sometimes we need somebody from the outside to just pinpoint all the things that we're dealing with so that we can see it for ourselves, right? I like to break this uh, burnout code up into three buckets. And so the first one we might say, based on what you've shared, are your stressors. Like what are, what's going on right now? Now, you're in a job where there's high turnover. You have what you call a tough boss, and you probably can go even more into detail about what that means, what it means to work for somebody like that. But we can also get, I'm already getting a flavor for the setting in which you're working, right? That people don't want to stick around. There's something going on there that maybe is a little toxic, right? And when you are the one sticking around and you're seeing the door, you know, just turning over and over and and people coming in and out, it does something to your morale, even though you're staying, right? Because I I was in a situation like that too. And I know that just didn't feel very good. Yeah. It was like, you know, I wish that this would work out. I wish that people would stick around. I want that sticky factor at work. I want people to love it here. Um, And that's not what's happening. So all these things that are external to your control. Um, Then because of the shortage, there's more demands on you. And stress, if we're going to look at the definition of what that is, is simply when the demands exceed your resources. So here you are able to do so much, right? You've got a limited capacity of what you can do as one person. And now you're expected to do the work of two or three people. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the demands are greater, but you're not given more race. There's no, not more time in the day. 
you may not have access to an assistant or whatever it is that you need as a quote unquote resource, right? So that's stressful. So all of those things are just stressors at work. Then we've got stressors at home, right? You've got two little kids. So that's an additional thing. And that's, I mean, we're talking to women here. So many of us are dealing with stuff like that at home or a lot of my clients now, because, you know, we're, we're approaching that like middle age mark. So many of my clients are now seeing that their parents are elderly and they're sickly and they have to take care of them or they have to figure things out for them. Uh, There's a lot of resentment around that. There's a lot of additional stress around that. And then we also are seeing a lot of those folks passing away, which is then bringing on a lot of regret and sadness and all kinds of other emotions. So we've got all of those things happening, right? And then on top of it, you've got a boss who has no empathy, who just doesn't get it, right? So here you are trying to do the work of more than one person. You're seeing everybody just like running for the hills. You're like, I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to do this, even though you've got all this other stress on your plate at home. And then this boss just doesn't even, he can't even give you the pat on the back that you deserve. Yes, exactly. That is a recipe for burnout, if nothing else, Mm -hmm. right? But we're not even done because that's just your kind of, external stressors. We also have all of your underlying stuff that you kind of bring to the table from your upbringing, right? Which means like the way that you look at the world, um, all of your early life experiences that have shaped your beliefs. So you bring all that to the table, which then also means that you're going to interpret those situations that you're in, in a very certain way, which might be different from somebody else, given a different background and upbringing, et cetera. Yeah. Right. And then you have on top of that, the thing that I like to talk about the most, which is your personality, right? Or I call it like your burnout profile. Okay. And that's where we look at what specifically from your personality do you do in your way of just being in the world and managing things and the expectations you put on yourself that contribute to your burnout. Mm-hmm. And that's really huge because while all of those other things we just mentioned are there, you know, the boss that doesn't get it and the people that are flocking and the kids at home, those things exist. And yet those are the things you have the least control over. The things that you have the most control over is your personality, your individual things that you kind of do, the way that you think about things that contribute even more to your stress. And these are the things that we recognize the least. Mm -hmm. And this is why I like to highlight them, right? These are the things that we often overlook. Mm -hmm. So before I go into the three burnout profiles, I just want to take a moment and just check in and say like, any questions about anything so far? Anything that kind of popped up for you? Oh, it completely resonated with me because obviously, well, maybe not obviously, I've done a lot of therapy since I stopped drinking. Um, 
But one of the things that I recognized is, you know, growing up, I didn't have a lot of security from my parents or like emotional security. They were like gone. And then I went to boarding school and I felt like I had to be like hyper um, cautious and resilient because I had nowhere kind of to go. Like I had to get a job. I had to take care of myself. And then I went to work in digital marketing at startups. And there were so many layoffs and reorganizations. And, you know, even if I wasn't being laid off, I was absorbing the work. And, you know, I remember getting laid off when I had a six-month-old son and I was the primary breadwinner and it was my insurance. And so I very much have this, like, at work, I had this scarcity mindset and anxiety, like, all these people are leaving, but if I don't hold it up, they're going to get rid of me too. And and that all, I think, contributed to my feeling like I have no resources and yet I can't fail. Does that make sense? Like when you mm-hmm. were saying it. When I was drinking, I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety, and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, a better way to find calm, rest, relief, and to reduce inflammation. Tanasi creates the highest quality, scientifically validated CBD and hemp extract products. Tanasi's formula includes a unique combination of CBD and CBDA in every dose, which is two times more effective than just CBD alone. So if you want to create a sense of calm, to calm your mind, to relax before bed for a great night of sleep, try Tanasi. Tanasi's being really generous with our listeners. You can go to Tanasi.com and use code HELLO to get 25% off at checkout right now. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with the promo code HELLO and get ready to sleep well. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. We're all busy, but one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash someday.
Yeah. So I got to imagine that growing up the way that you did, where your parents weren't there and then you got kind of sent away, that that brings up a certain um, fear of some, like, I have to step it up. And in other words, like the little girl in you is thinking, I got sent away or my parents weren't there because of me, because I wasn't stepping it up enough. Right. And then we bring that into our work and we're like, I got to step it up at work or else they're going to get rid of me here too. You know, and, and that's all the stuff that's kind of in those first two buckets. And as an aside, I find that people who have those adverse childhood experiences often seek out that chaos at work, right? That's the startup mentality of like, it's chaotic. We don't really know what we're doing yet. And so you kind of flock to those environments because it's, it's familiar. The chaos is familiar. Yeah. And my, my, uh, my husband always told me, and this was like, regardless of whether my boss was a man or a woman that I had like this daddy complex with my boss. Like I just really wanted the pat on the head and the positive feedback and never wanted to let them down. And I was like, it's so true, which meant I had terrible boundaries. I would just take on more and more and more and never want to show them that. And yet inside, I felt like I was being crushed by all these expectations. Yeah. So we have all that. And then you've got your own expectations, your own demands on yourself. And so I really want to talk about that for people who are listening and they're like, yeah, all this makes sense. And what do I do about it? Right? Yes. Yeah. So I've looked at the profiles of people who have burned out and I was trying to kind of synthesize them down into some common traits. Like what are, what are the things that we see over and over again that keep coming up and how can we kind of cluster them together so it makes sense and it's just like a simple model for people to follow. And here's what I found. I found that um, when you kind of synthesize it down, there's these three main types that we see when it comes to your burnout profile, which is like a lot of your personality stuff coming in. And I like to call them the thinker, the feeler, and the doer. So I'll give a quick description of each of these with a caveat that, because people often ask me this, they're like, well, what if I'm all three? And the truth of the matter is it's not that you have to be just one. The way that I describe it is if you are more than one type, it just means that if you think about like a, an electric panel, you know what happens when we plug in too many appliances, right? Yeah. Like like the switch just blows and then we can't, we can't use anything. Right. And so I like to think about it as like, you just got too many things plugged in at that point. And then it just means that you have to work on unplugging more things. Right. So just keep that in mind. So we got the thinker and the thinker is somebody who spends a lot of time in their head. So they're just overanalyzing everything. And that can come out in a, a bunch of different ways. It might mean that it's hard for you to make a decision because you're constantly, well, if I do this, then this might happen. If I do that, then I don't know. And then so you're like constantly like going between your options and you can't really settle on anything. That just takes a lot of time and energy out of your day that you can't afford to lose. Mm -hmm. That's one way it shows up. Another is just people who are very anxious 
and they spend their time really thinking about the future and everything that could go wrong and they catastrophize, right? And a lot of it tends to be very irrational and um, it doesn't get resolved like ever. So I had a client as an example who worked for like a Fortune 100 company and he was incredibly successful and he had been at the company for over a decade. So quite a long time, really high title. And you would think somebody like that would be very job secure. But as I said, a lot of this isn't rational. And so he would come to work literally every single day for 12, 13, 14 years, every day. There wasn't a day that went by that he didn't worry that he was going to get fired. And it wasn't because he did a bad job, but he just had that innate belief. And it came probably from, you know, the instability in his childhood and seeing his dad like not being able to pay the bills and so whatever it was. So there was something there that created a fear and created these irrational thoughts. And those thoughts just wouldn't leave him. So he's coming and spending all his time and energy worrying about things that never happened. Mm -hmm. That's another way that we kind of exhaust our resources and we don't really have anything to show for it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of other examples, but like, I think the most common ones when it comes to burnout with, for the thinker are things like perfectionism and uh, imposter syndrome. And sometimes they go hand in hand. And really those are demands that we put on ourselves with the expectation that what we do in the world has to be epic. Like we cannot accept anything less than, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're constantly in this phase of like, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. And always working on quality. That's the perfectionism piece. And then if you can't do it quite as good as you think it should be, then we get into imposter syndrome, which is people that really believe that it doesn't matter like how they got their job and whether they're qualified for it or not. In their own minds, they're convinced that they don't deserve to be there, that everybody else has been fooled, and that tomorrow, even though today they're safe, tomorrow, and this is where the anxiety comes in, uh, they might lose their job because somebody will figure it out. They will make a mistake. I had this one client who was worried about, she was like a VP of her company. She was worried about sending out, she was every Monday, she'd send out an email to the entire company. And she was like, I'm going to make a mistake. One of these emails, I'm going to like totally humiliate myself. And she would literally go through every email about five, eight, 10 times. Can you imagine how many emails do we send a day? Right. And can you imagine if you had to read each one like 10 times, how much time that would waste that you couldn't get anything else done? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So these are the kinds of things when we're overthinking things that we are wasting away our all of our resources. And then we have less time to do all the things that we really need to get done. And then there's that crunch where we feel really uh, crushed by everything that we still have to get done. Right. So we're dealing with our own mind. We're dealing with this just like crazy demand for quality and worry about the future and safety and just all of these things. Yeah, that completely resonates with me. I was constantly in fear of being laid off or let go, despite, you know, 
continually getting promoted at every yeah. review I had. And yet just this level of anxiety that would continue to go through. Like I used to be in, in, um, e-commerce online sales and the sales numbers would, you know, finish for the day and flip over at midnight. I would put my daughter to bed, fall asleep with her and set an alarm to wake up at 1155 in key, you know, Black Friday, Cyber Monday key moments. So I could like report to my boss what we sold for the day, which is ridiculous. It's a ridiculous thing to do. And now looking back, having started working for myself, I'm like, that was so unnecessary. Um, I wonder if I went back, if I'd be different, but I don't know. Yeah. So the question is, are we doing too much, which we'll talk about in the doer? Are we doing too much because of that fear of getting let go and, and that conviction that we need to do more in order to avoid that? That could be the association there, which sounds like that's what was going on for you, right? Um, it starts it starts with your thoughts, yes. really. Yeah. And so if I was if you were a client of mine at the time, I would have said, let's let's work on that. Let's clean yeah. up your thoughts because that's what's contributing to the behavior and and that compulsion to feel like if I don't do this. And and that's and I call it compulsion on purpose because um if you think about what OCD is, right? We we kind of throw that term around, but it's really like an obsession and a compulsion. And you can have either one. Um it's it's about I'm I'm obsessive about this thought that if I don't do x then Y is going to happen. And then I have the behavior that stems from that thought that says, okay, well, now I have to wash my hands because I've got germs and I'm going to get sick or so, you know, and in your case, it was like, I got to like wake up and at midnight and check on the stats so that I can deliver the report, you know? And, and so that's what we have to really look at is not just the behavior, but where is that behavior coming from? And yeah. if you're, if you're a thinker, I think you understand uh, what I'm talking about here, right? And yeah. that's very, very common. The The second profile that I think is really important, especially with women, not only, but, you know, this is definitely a biggie, is the feeler. And the feeler is somebody who tends to be very focused on pleasing other people. And that's where our boundaries don't exist, right? This is where we take on something just because somebody asked and we don't think about, do I have the resources to take on another thing? No, we're just focused on if I do this, that person's going to be happy. They'll be pleased with me. And that feels good, right? Mm -hmm. We want that approval. And so this is really challenging because if you come from that fear-based background of I'm not acceptable, uh, what I'm doing isn't good enough, then I have to do more or people aren't going to like me if I say no. That's a big fear, right? Like we are really raised in a society to be caretakers and caretaking, we can expand on that definition, but like we all have our own version of it. I think ultimately it's about pleasing other people in some respect. That's, I think, how we've interpreted it as women. Um, and I think there's a lot of expectations that society has for us. And it's our job, now that we're talking about this, to then rethink how we want to be in the world 
And what does it mean with regards to the societal expectations? How do we actually target that? How do we do it in a way that's successful, which means that we don't walk around feeling guilty and other people are able to hear what we have to say, which is those boundaries, right? And I think that can be really challenging because we don't spend a lot of time getting trained on how to do this, right? So people are like, yeah, you should just have some boundaries. And you're like, yeah, what does that even look like? What does it sound like, Mm -hmm. right? Who's actually had that modeled for them? Not too many, right? So it's like internal boundaries with yourself, you know? Yeah. External boundaries with telling people what you're able to do, but then also that guilt and that holding on to that and that worry. Exactly. And I'm glad you said that because if it's true that the guilt is stemming from a thought that we have, then again, it comes back to cleaning up your thinking around that situation. So what are you telling yourself about the fact that somebody asked you to do something and you're not going to take it on? Right. Are you telling yourself, well, I should say yes. Mm -hmm. If I don't say yes, then something horrible is going to happen. If you're telling yourself those kinds of stories, you are going to feel guilty. Right. So in other words, the guilt doesn't come from the person asking you to do the thing. It comes from your story about what it means that you're going to say no. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, and here's why it's kind of a lose lose. On the flip side of that, if you say yes, what happens is that's where we end up feeling resentful. Yes. So you can't win, right? If you say yes, then you're resentful. And if you say no, you feel guilty. Mm-hmm. And so by the really, way, these are both two huge triggers to want to check out and drink, right? You, we tend to like drink at people or feel like I do all this for everyone else and I don't have anything for myself. And so I deserve to reward myself or, or this is the one reward I have. Yeah. And that's actually really important to talk about because a lot of times, as you said, the drinking serves as a reward, but we're actually fooling ourselves here because if you're saying to yourself, I'm going to say yes to this person, which means I have to work harder, but now I feel resentful. And in order for me to deal with my resentment, I'm going to drink. Yeah then you're just complicating the whole situation. Yeah. Because now you have more stress because you have to do the thing that you took on that you didn't really want to take on. And if that person doesn't show their enthusiasm, their appreciation of you doing the thing to your liking, yeah, then you're going to be like, well, I just did this thing and how come they don't appreciate me? And, you know, you go down that rabbit hole. So there's more of that. And now you're having to deal with all of these emotions that have built up. And in order to feel better, now you're, you're going to drink. Mm-hmm. But what if you just figured out how to say no in a way that alleviated you from that burden to begin with without feeling guilty? That's the key. Yeah. Right. And that comes back to your point, which is you've got to start with those internal boundaries. You have to start with total clarity of like, what do I want? What can I take on? And, you know, when we talk about boundaries, boundaries 
aren't just about what you're going to say no to, but it's also about what you say yes to. And in order for you to draw any sort of boundaries internally so that you can then communicate them externally, you have to be totally clear. What do you say yes to? Why do you say yes to it? What do you say no to? And why do you say no to it? Right. And we just have to sit with ourselves and think about that. Like if somebody mistreated you, would you put up with it? Would you say something, do something? Right. Why not? Well, I mean, it depends, right? Because I feel like in a work situation, I probably tolerate that a lot more than I would in my personal life where, you know, you feel like you have more empowerment and more choice. Um, I've gotten way better at that, you know, in, in recent years in terms of boundaries and saying no and sort of releasing the outcome of that or what's on other people. But I mean, at one point, my therapist said to me, well, you get to decide how much you're going to take on at um, work. And I was like, no, I don't. They just give it to me. They decide, you know, how much I need to do. And that was just a hard um, realization to come to that I had power in that situation and that it wouldn't be the end of the world. So what did you do? Like once you had that realization that actually you get to decide how much you take on what changed um well i didn't figure it out for many years for a while i just drank a bottle of wine a night and then took ambien to sleep through the night note to self not a good solution if anyone's doing that that doesn't really help um i mean i started with small things like finally you know i was sort of addicted to my work email and people would email on saturdays and i feel like i had to respond and it was like this huge ping pong game And so finally, I told my boss, I said, I am not looking at email over the weekend to spend time with my family. If anything comes up that's urgent, of course, I'm on it. Text me. And so that really helped kind of just setting those expectations with her, which allowed me to release a lot of that anxiety. Some of it was just figuring out how to say no in a kind way to, I mean, everybody asks more of you, colleagues or whoever, and just being like, actually, I've got a really full plate. I'm not the right person to help you out with this, but I know you, it's going to be awesome. And you're going to find someone who can help and just kind of see. The other thing I do is when people ask me to do things, I mean, including like at my husband's my son's school where they're like, we need someone to do X, Y, Z. I'm like, I've got to check my workload right now. Will you email me so that I can kind of understand what's included? 90% of the time they won't email and they'll find someone else. Oh my gosh. Can we talk about perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause for a minute? I am 48. So if you're going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep. It is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. 
It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head on. And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Women cannot stop raving about it on social media, but the biggest benefit is the simplest, feeling like yourself again. So if you're going through this, like I'm going through this, for a limited time, you can get 15% off your first order at happymammoth.com with promo code HELLO. That's happy, M-A-M-M-O-T-H.com. And use promo code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Mm. Oh my God, those are just such good tips. And so what I want to highlight from what you've said is um, it you started out by saying it's about setting expectations, right? And again, I think we have to be really clear on what we want and what we don't want, what we can take on and what we can't take on before we can set those expectations. So sitting down with yourself first and saying like, what do I have on my plate? What can I take on? What don't I want to take on even if I could take it on? Because that's a whole other thing that leads to resentment, right? It's like, yeah, I have the time, but I really don't want to work on this project. Yeah. That's another thing, right? So it's not just about, I don't have time for it, but like maybe it's just not a fit. And and that's actually important. I don't want to hi- highlight this because fit is something that if you're working and you're doing things that don't fit you, that in and of itself can lead to burnout, Mm -hmm. right? So that's something important to really think about. What are you doing? What of those things actually are, are fitting to you? And what are people asking you to take on of those things? Which one would be a fit if you had the time? And you can say, you know, right now, as you said, my plate is full, but as of next week, I'm going to have some time on Monday and I would love to work on this project then if that's still yeah. relevant in terms of timing or whatever, right? So in, in other words, it doesn't have to be like a firm yes or a firm no, it can be later. Yeah. Right? Like, and here's specifically when, so, but, but the the problem is a lot of times we are not organized in terms of our schedules enough to know what time we have. Yeah. So that's a whole other thing, a whole other conversation about like calendaring and really time management and understanding everything that you have to do. But um, I was just going to say is that what helped me is um, when people emailed me, I always felt like it was a fire drill, like, oh, oh, they want this. I have to jump on it and get it back to them right away. And it would just be one more thing. And I started emailing them back and being like, yeah, absolutely. Happy to get to this. What's your timeline for when? Yes. I was just going to say, perfect. Yeah, Just knowing because sometimes they'll be like end of next week. And I would have thrown off my entire day to try to get it done before I picked up my kids from daycare. Mm -hmm. Yeah. These are great tips. So what's your timeline on this? Right? What are your expectations? If I was going to say yes to this, how soon do you need this? And then I can see if I've got time to get it done by then. And if not, then I'm not your person. Mm -hmm. Right? So just having the ability to say that 
without feeling guilty. And if you are feeling guilty, then I would say you want to look at what are you telling yourself you should be doing that you're not, right? I should say yes to every request. Is that something that you tell yourself? Because sometimes when we say these things out loud to ourselves, we're like, that's ridiculous. Why am I saying this, right? That doesn't make any sense. So just actually putting it down on paper or verbalizing it can help you bring it up to the surface and see what's driving those emotions, which then if we're not thinking about it, we're not really conscious of them can lead us to these automatic behaviors of either like quickly saying yes to everything and then paying the price for it. And, you know, you gave a really great example of, so I said, yes, right. I took on too much. And then I was feeling all these emotions. Like I was feeling stressed and I was feeling frustrated and resentful and all this stuff. And then I had to drink so that I feel better. But then my drinking got in the way of my sleep. So then I had to take an Ambien, right? Yep. And so it's like, notice when we have the wrong solution, how that creates additional problems that we need to then find solutions for. Yep. Or another version of that is, and then I gained so much weight from drinking that then I had to go on a diet. And then now you're dealing with all this other stuff, right? So if we can just get to the root of the issue, then we don't even have to get to the point of drinking and then everything that comes after it to fix our life back up. Yeah. And one thing I found is a lot of women, and I'll, I should just talk about myself, but don't like confrontation and don't like saying no. So, uh, to some extent, we drink, we push all of this resentment down, and then we're angry at ourselves, right? Because it's easier or more emotionally comfortable to blame yourself for being overwhelmed, unable to cope, whatever it was, because, oh, I feel this way because I drank a bottle of wine last night, as opposed to, I feel this way because, of course, this is too much. And I need to set boundaries. I also had a client who talked to me and she was constantly saying yes to work and working all the time and felt overwhelmed. And she was like, after we dug into stuff, she's like, actually, I think I stopped drinking because then I couldn't work. If, you know, like then I wouldn't send emails to clients and I wouldn't do anything. So it's crazy that we're almost like, sometimes physically incapacitating ourselves rather than making the decision that we're just turning off the computer. And if it doesn't get done today, it doesn't get done. Yeah. So that's an extreme example of like where you really can't yeah. do anything. I had a friend who recently said that she was going to go sober. Mm -hmm. And what she found was she's like, you know, <laughs> when you go to yoga class in the morning and you're not hungover. It's such a totally different experience. And I was like, what do you know? Oh, completely. Or like when you don't drink, you literally are less stressed because drinking strike uh, spikes your cortisol, the stress hormone. So there's so many knock on effects, but the desire to just take it on and then feel resentful or overwhelmed and want to check out that's real. So I think that figuring out the work that you do, why you're burned out and your thoughts and what you can do to deal with that as sort of exercising a muscle so that you don't get to the point where you're just like, I can't take this. I want to check out. Right. So you're, you're saying 
not only are you resentful of your situation, but you're resentful of yourself for the decisions that you've made about saying yes or drinking or whatever it was that came after. And I would say um, these, these thoughts can be very fleeting as we now go into the next day and the next day. And so I would, I would ask people to write down all the things that you feel resentful for and see how many times you experienced the same thing over and over again, right? How many days did you wake up this week feeling resentful of yourself for the same things of like saying yes to something that you don't want to do or drinking because you felt resentful? Mm -hmm. And how many times did you feel resentful of other people because they asked you to do something that you didn't want to say yes to, that you felt kind of guilty, you know, if you said no, so you took it on, or that they didn't appreciate you enough for having done whatever it was that they asked you to do, right? And just see if that's a recurring pattern for you, then you really want to look at how can you engage differently, which starts again with the story. Right. What are you going to tell yourself so that you can then tell it to other people? Right. You have to make peace with I'm going to stand up for myself. I'm going to really protect my time. This is something I've been saying to people recently. I get I get a lot of people on LinkedIn, especially who are like, hey, would you love I'd love the work that you're doing. Can we chat? And, um, you know, if it's not something that's very specific about, you know, let's like work together or whatever it is, um, I just don't have time for that. Yeah. Right. And that's something that I probably would have done a couple of years ago because I love meeting new people, but I'm so busy that if I said yes to all those requests, I would be like, uh, like now I've got so much other stuff to do and I don't have time to do it. And I just like, I don't want to stress myself out. So what I've been saying to people is, you know, I'm very protective of my time. And if you have a specific question, please text it to me. I'm happy to answer. Um, If you're interested in resources on burnout, I've got tons of free stuff on my website. I'm happy to share. Um, And so like, I just kind of direct them towards what they're looking for instead of like me spending half an hour on a call with them. Because I used to do back to back, like every day, talking to lots of people, taking notes on the calls, and it just doesn't go anywhere. And I'm like, well, I just wasted like so much of my time. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so that's, that's the thing that I think we all have to kind of think about how does it show up in your life? And what can you do to cut some of that out so that it doesn't lead to the resentment and the guilt and the drinking? Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, we have the doer. And those are simply people who take on more than they can chew, right? And there's, again, that compulsion to constantly be doing something. So these are your type A, typically. Those are the people who are like, I love action. I love taking on lots of stuff. You know, I'm so excited. I got all these projects. And you're all over the map. Mm-hmm. And then you become overwhelmed because you've got way too much stuff going on. And that overwhelm leads you to not be able to do anything. Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online 
self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step -step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one -on -one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around group meetings or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a one-day-at-a-time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step -step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy. You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time, and I would love to see you in the course. Right? Or to feel like it's a burden and it's stressful, and then you're burned out, and then your performance really declines, and then you really can't do anything. And then if you're, and the, and the thing about the doers that I like to say is that their identity is very much wrapped up in the doing. In other words, their self-worth is derived from their productivity. So if they can't produce lots of outcomes, they feel less than, mm -hmm. which is what drives the whole mechanism. That's what creates that compulsion to constantly do more and more and more. And it doesn't ever end. And this is the thing that leads to all the problems because you, you know, we tell ourselves, we kind of fool ourselves to believe that if I just do this and if I just accomplish this, then I will have arrived. And this is what we call the arrival fallacy because you never arrive because you're always on to the next thing, right? This thing falls, like you finish it, you accomplish it. And we sometimes celebrate that. Most of the time we don't. And even when we do celebrate it, it's very short-lived and then we're on to the next. Yeah. Right? So it doesn't actually ever end. As we like to say, our to your to-do list doesn't ever die. We're always adding more things. There's always more to do. But we have to look at your relationship with yourself. If you are telling yourself that you aren't enough, that you have to prove something through your work, then you, this is a recipe for burnout. So how do you do that? Obviously, you look at your thoughts, which are driving your behaviors. What fears do you have that is driving you to take on too much, whether it's mentally or actually doing too much that's leading to overwhelm. And once you've sort of looked at that, then what? Is it all about boundaries? No, there's a lot of different things. I like to look at 
what skills I can teach people because those skills are transferable. It's not like, oh, I can only use it in this context. No, like these are life skills. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the thinker, I would say the main skill there is emotional intelligence, understanding how there's a connection between your thoughts and your feelings. We often really miss this one step. We think that all of these circumstances in our life lead us to feel a certain way, which is why we'll say things like, you make me so angry, right? And it's like, somebody can't make you angry. They do what they do, which is the circumstance. And then you interpret that to mean something. And that interpretation is what makes you angry. You know, um, when I was younger, I had a friend of a friend, like which she wanted to get together and it was potentially going to rain. And I mentioned that and she said, well, you're not made of sugar. And I didn't really understand what that expression meant. And so I thought she meant that I wasn't like sweet, that I wasn't a nice person. And I was so offended. Right. And I called my mom and I was like, she said that about me. And I don't understand why she's so mean to me. You know, and my mom's like, well, what did she say? And I told her, and she's like, that doesn't mean that. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and I think it's a funny story, but it's kind of exemplary of what happens in our brain is we come up with some interpretation of what is going on around us. And that very much leads to how we feel. And so when we get in control of our mind, it is just transformative, really. Mm -hmm. It really is. And so that's the really deep work that I love to do with my clients is help them understand exactly what's going on in their mind. Sometimes they don't even have access to their thoughts. Like sometimes it's so automatic that they're like, well, I, you know, I just feel angry. And it's like, well, what are you telling yourself? And like really having to pull it out of them. And other times you have people who are so clear on their thoughts, but they're so disconnected from their emotions that I'll ask them like, so how does that make you feel? And that's really hard for them to answer. Or where do you feel that in your body? And they're like, I don't know. You know, it's, it, they, they're very much in their heads. So, and and I think a lot of the thinkers sometimes fall into that. Like they, they'll know like big picture, like I'm anxious or whatever, but uh, a lot of times it's hard to like really pinpoint what's going on with you. So I think a lot of that work on emotional intelligence is super helpful for them. Um, for, I think the other, the other main skill The second one is time management, as we said, because you have to know how to get super clear on what you already have going on, how to manage your time, how to take things off your plate, how to say no, all of that falls under time management. Uh, That allows you to create those boundaries that allows you to communicate what you can and can't do and set expectations with other people, all the things that you said. And then the third thing is really working on your relationship with yourself, right? And some of that is just uncovering the lies, uncovering the beliefs that you have extracted from your early life experiences. So you had mentioned, for instance, that your parents were never around. Now, everybody's got their own version of that, right? 
but it's what do we make that mean? And if we make it mean that I have to prove my worth, because if I am worthy, then they'll keep me around, right? Mm -hmm. Then I have, then I become that doer. And then I'm stuck in this perpetual pattern. Then I have to work on the belief, that story that I tell myself, because otherwise I'm going to keep doing the same behavior, right? Or um, if you're that people pleaser and you believe that it's your job to take care of other people, then you have to constantly say yes to everybody. Then yeah. having then then we have to work on on that belief. So I think all of those things are really important. So just to recap, the emotional intelligence, the time management, your relationship with yourself. And within that, you know, I teach things like mindfulness and things that allow you to be present and really tune into yourself and understand what's coming from within, what's coming from without, what do you have control over and really refocusing people on the things they have control over. Because we we really do spend a lot of time uh, spinning our wheels, focusing on everything that's outside of our control. And yeah. that makes us crazy. Yeah. I think that's awesome. I mean, I could talk to you all day about various things. And when you were talking in that last bit about the doer that resonated with me quite a bit too, in terms of, you know, my parents used to go play tennis on the weekends. And when they left, I was like seven years old, I would like try to clean the whole house and then like hide. So they'd come home and be like, Oh my God, who cleaned the house? which is insane. I have a nine-year-old daughter and it would never occur to her to do that. And also I remember I did a podcast on the Enneagram and the yeah. guy was uh, taking me through my, um, what I was. And he asked me this question of like, how do you earn love? And I launched into like a 20 minute description of all the ways I earned love. And he was like, okay, you're an Enneagram three, the achiever. Because I will ask 80% of people that question and they'll be stumped. They'll be like, well, I don't earn love. And I was like, I could never imagine being stumped by that question. So hmm. I did want to ask you last, how do you know if you're burned out? Can you give me the symptoms of like how people might be able to be like, okay, this is burnout versus something else? Yeah. So. You know, if you look up burnout, like on the Googles, there's three main things that they talk about, and that's emotional exhaustion, it's cynicism, and it's a reduction in your productivity or your, you know, effectiveness at work. And I, I like to expand on that and say, we all know what stress feels like. Right. When we feel, oh, I'm so stressed. I've had such a like long day and I have so much going on. But when you have chronic stress, not just acute stress, we feel the difference. Mm -hmm. And it's usually when you go away and you've got that long weekend, you've got that four day weekend, and you're just starting to get back to yourself, but then you have to go back to work. And so you don't really have a, a chance to really reset. But most of the time, you just have a two-day weekend, and it's just never enough, mm -hmm. right? That's the exhaustion. Because it's not just physical. It's really emotional. It's mental. It's like you're so fried. You can't even think straight. You've got that brain fog. Yeah. And I, I like to say that there is a stress burnout continuum. So you can fall anywhere 
on that continuum. When you are in the earlier stages, that's where I think you're starting to notice that things are turning on you, that you're tired more than usual, that you can't really focus at work, that you're maybe losing some of your motivation and drive, even though you're that super driven person normally. And you're like, I don't even recognize myself, right? You start to notice these things changing, or sometimes other people notice things about you and they'll say like, are you okay? And you're like, yeah, why? Right. So a lot of times we don't even notice it, especially in the early stages. When we get to the deeper stages of burnout, you really know it because now you're probably drinking a lot more than you were before. You're probably sleeping a lot less than you were before. Your relationships are just all over the place, especially the one with yourself. You're probably not taking care of yourself. You're not, if you're the person that was exercising, maybe you're not exercising, or maybe you're trying to cope with all the other things. And so now you're like thinking, maybe I put all my eggs in that exercise bucket and you're tr- you're trying to overdo it over here and it's not really making a dent and you're like super frustrated. So it can really show up in a lot of different ways, but I would invite everybody to think about, because I think most people have had a burnout experience, whether it's at work or at home, yeah. right? And I, I specifically say that because I never really burned out at work, but I can tell you what it feels like to burn out at home between like my husband and the kids and everybody's driving me crazy. And I'm starting know, I yes, I have to like run my business and do all that stuff. But then I got all these other things going on and I, I've got a teenager at home and we're dealing with a lot of attitude. People who have got teens know what I'm talking about. So yeah, I kind of am like burned out on a lot of that stuff. So you just don't want to like, sometimes I, I have these fantasies of running away, mm-hmm. right? Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I don't, what, what would happen if I just like disappeared? Right. I think those are some signs that there's some serious problems going on. Yeah. Yeah. That's how, you know, and if you're curious, you want to find out more. Um, I really, really spell it out in my book. Um, so people can really get a sense of the symptoms and how to like ask yourself different questions. I've got a lot of kind of like workbook kind of exercises in there. I think that would be a really great resource for people to really get a a deeper sense. But I say that also with the caveat that I wouldn't recommend my book to somebody who's severely burned out because I feel like when you're in the lighter versions of burnout, you can kind of coach yourself through it. And I think that the more burned out you are, the further along that spectrum you are, the more you need like a therapist or a coach or somebody to work with you because you're just you're just not going to be able to find the resources to take care of yourself. Like it's just you're you're that far gone. What's the name of your book so everybody can find it? Yeah, it's called the Seven E Solution to Burnout, and. I think uh, right now we we've taken it off of Amazon because we're talking to some publishers about it, but you can find it on my website. So if you go to drsharongrossman.com, there's a link in there that you can find out more information. And I got lots of other free resources on burnout as well on the website. I'll put that in the show notes for sure. But drsharongrossman.com. Yeah. And what about your podcast? So my podcast is, as we said, called Decode Your Burnout. And it 
focuses on two kinds of guests. I've got the people that come on and just talk about their burnout story. And that's kind of how we started the podcast. Um, and I was decoding it kind of in the similar way to what we were having this conversation in the beginning today, right? Where I was really highlighting for people after they shared their story about what fits into which bucket for them so that they can come up with their own burnout code and understand like now what I need to focus on in order to create that customized solution. The other guest that I have is because I wanted my listeners to, well, the first guest I had was because I wanted my listeners to say, I have that version of burnout, right? Burnout shows up so differently, but I really resonate with that guest's version of it. And then that person shared three tips on what helped them. And so if I'm like, if you can find a version of burnout that's very similar to the story that you're experiencing right now, then the tips that that person shares might be really helpful for you with your version. Mm-hmm. The other type of guess I have is somebody who is an expert in their field, and it can be a whole bunch of different things, because I really also wanted my listeners to have an opportunity to grow and to learn about what it really takes to be successful in the world without burning out. And so those folks come on and they'll often have a burnout story, but really the focus there is on their area of expertise. And they're there to debunk three myths about what it means to be successful in their specific field. And then we're trying to use those as tips for all of us, regardless of what field we're in, so that we can figure out what success looks like without killing ourselves in the process, right? We we sometimes are like, yeah, you have a lot of high achieving women listening to this podcast um, if they're burned out because they are trying to reach success, but they're not going about it in a sustainable way. I want other experts to be able to share like what their wisdom is from having done it in their respective field. So those are the two kinds of guests that we have on the show. I love that. I think that's so interesting. And where else can people find you? Is your website the best place? Or are you on social media? I am on social, mostly on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. but really the best place is on my website because we update there. Uh, I actually, for people who who want those weekly updates, I do have a newsletter that comes out every Friday. Um, it's called the Burnout Digest. And in it, I highlight the blog article of the week, which is always about some version of burnout. Um, I've got a link to that week's podcast episode. Um, and I always include some additional materials like a a TEDx video that I think people should watch because I'm a huge TED fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if people are interested in constantly being in the know about everything that's new and happening with the with respect to burnout and everything around it, I highly recommend signing up for the newsletter and you'll get every Friday, you'll get an email in your inbox first thing in the morning. That That's perfect. Thank you so much. I know that the women listening to this are going to take so much away from this and, you know, now have more information about how to dive into their thoughts and how that's influencing them. I'm so glad that we had this opportunity to talk. And I think that it is really, really important for each of us to be able to really decipher what is in our control and what we're bringing to the table that contributes to more of the problem because we have more power to do something about that uh, and help ourselves. So that's super, super important to my mission. Um, and I also would would say that if you're listening to this podcast and 
you work for a company that has this as kind of a big issue. We've seen a lot of burnout in the workplace, not just individually, but like in teams and things of that nature that I also do workshops and, and keynote speaking at conferences and things like that. So something else that I just want to mention as something that I can do for companies. Because I know so many different workplaces that I was in big, you know, Fortune 500 companies and startups where it's a real issue and they're looking for solutions, right? To improve employee mental health so that it doesn't impact performance. So that's great to know that companies are bringing you in to talk about that. Yeah. And then share Casey's podcast with them as well. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you again for having me and for all of your listeners for tuning in. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how to's for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.